launched. He's got it on line. Young big fly. Great grab. It's taken every ounce of the old heave But the Dockers have done it. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to season three, episode five of the Big Degs podcast. Have had a little break over the last couple of weeks celebrating my 18th and got to see the Western Derby, which was awesome. And also in between that, moving houses, which by the way, the audio may or may not sound a bit different. So if it does sound different, I do apologize for that, but I am trying to make the most of what I can do. But with that out of the way, let's talk about the Dockers. When we last covered Freo, we were sitting 0-2 and, and heading into a very big Western Derby that would hopefully kick off our season. And nearly four weeks later, the Dockers find themselves 2-3 and three and sitting 11th on the ladder. The season so far has been extremely mixed. There's been a lot of good moments, but there's also been a lot of bad moments throughout the year. As I just mentioned, we had the 41-point win over West Coast, then a 39-point belting from the Crows, and most recently, our 10-point win over the Suns at Norwood Adelaide. So even though we are sitting 11th heading into round 6 in a big Friday night game against the Western Bulldogs, even though we are still in a pretty poor position being 2-3 and three and 11th on the ladder, at least you can tell that we've quickly improved since our 0-2 start and look to be heading back on the right course. So let's get into this week's Docker recap. Nat Fife's manager, Jason Dover, claims the two-time Brownlow medalist only has eyes for Fremantle and not any other potential rival clubs, as he closes in on a new contract with the Dockers after signing a six-year deal with Fremantle in 2017. The Peel Thunder boys streamed home to a 65-point win over the Perth Demons and sit 2-0 after two games of the waffle season. Sabit Quack was hot in the kitchen and was the only multiple goal scorer for the whole match, kicking four goals in the process. Carl Water was also extremely solid again with 30 disposals, 8 marks and 2 tackles. Nathan Wilson, after being dropped for Corey Wagner in the Freo squad, performed really well with 20 disposals, 5 marks and 1 goal. Liam Henry, Josh Corbett and Tom Emmett were all very inaccurate with the three together kicking a total of 10 behinds. Liam Henry kicked zero goals too, Josh Corbett kicked one goal three, and Tom Emmett kicked zero goals five. And finally, for the other Frio players who played in the senior pill side, Josh Draper had 15 disposals and six marks, Hugh Davies had six disposals and two tackles, and Neil Erasmus was heavily tagged throughout the match, finishing with an unassuming eight disposals and nine tackles. And finally, to finish up with the injury list, Joel Hamling is at test with a foot injury. Heath Chapman is still one to two weeks away with a calf injury. Sam Swakowski, after being subbed out in the Suns game, is suspected to miss two weeks due to a calf injury. Travis Collier is still recovering from his knee surgery and is expected to miss at least two weeks. And Fives plantar fasciitis injury and Matt Taberner's back injury are both yet to be announced. And with that finished, let's move on to our Round 5 Winners VIP Lounge. Winners winners, no now on to the Winners VIP Lounge BOG for this week. And if you have been keeping up with the Winners VIP Lounge on at Freo Hub on Instagram, you would know that this man is about to earn his third straight BOG. It goes to Caleb Sorong 
who in my opinion has been Fremantle's best player this year. He had 37 disposals, 6 tackles, 16 contested possessions, 7 score involvements, 8 clearances, and 125 AFL fantasy points. I think the conversation surrounding him potentially winning a Brownlow has to start now. He's definitely a smoky, but he is a big chance. When you go through the games that we've played so far, our defenders were outstanding in round one, so I think they'll get the votes. And then Sarong was arguably Fremantle's best player in round two against North Melbourne, so that's probably worth one or two votes, because I think Luke Davies Uniac will certainly get the three votes in that game. Then he was literally given the BOG award, the Glenn Adding Medal Award in the Derby. So there's three votes right there. Then in the game against Adelaide, he was by far our best player. So that's probably worth one or two votes again. And then this week, he was once again our best player. So when you go through all of that and put the votes in, he's probably going to be sitting anywhere between five and nine votes. In fact, right now on the AFL website's Brownlow predictor, Caleb Sarong is currently sitting sixth with eight votes tied alongside Clayton Oliver, Jordan Dawson, and Jeremy Cameron. The only players who have more votes than Sarong right now are Darcy Paris with 10 and Nick Dacos with 11. In a season for Froyo that has so far been very, very mixed, Caleb Sarong and his performances have been the one truly shining, consistent star so far this year. And once again, I will say, the talk around Sarong winning a Brownlow has to start now. And us Dockers fans, of course, have been the first ones to pick up on it. There's already been a couple of hashtags and catchphrases going around. There's two main ones in Saronglo and Brorong. But the AFL world needs to start talking about Caleb Sarong. Moving on into the runner-up, and I have Swaggo Onions' Sean Darcy. The Easter break may be over, but Sean Darcy is still getting those chockies, and he had an absolute field date against the Gold Coast Suns. They were missing their prime ruckman, Jared Witz, through injury, so they played, I think his name was Ned Moley or Med Moley, but that young man was taught a harsh lesson by Sean Darcy, who had 18 disposals, 14 contested possessions, 7 score involvements, 4 marks, 9 clearances, 48 hitouts, and 118 AFL fantasy points. Now on to my personal favourite part of the Winners VIP Lounge, this week's Frio Hero. And who could have ever guessed that this man would be having as good as a season that he is now? 32-year-old Michael Walters. Even at that age, he is still one of the clutchest players going around. With another four-goal game in his bag, his second for this season, Walters has now kicked 10 goals from just a little bit over three games. Remember, he had that game as the sub where he kicked two goals. And going into the season, many people thought that this could potentially be his last year of the AFL. And going into a massive Friday night clash against the Western Bulldogs, Walters will once again have the opportunity to shine. Before I give this game's Docker delight, I feel like I have to mention a couple of players that I just couldn't fit into any of these categories. The first player being Jai Amos, arguably had the best game of his career so far. Kicked three goals too and set up Matthew Johnson's goal, which we'll get to in a second. Amos should never have to play Waffle again, even though he is a little bit inconsistent. If we know he's capable of putting these sort of performances for Froyo, he should never have to play in the Waffle again. This was the sort of performance that reassured me that he is capable of playing a big role in this Dockers team. There was a lot of speculation at the start of the year on what Amos could potentially do in the squad. Questions on whether he was too young, too inexperienced. 
and whether he was just ready at AFL level. But so far, this 19-year-old has been our best key forward so far, and hopefully we'll see many more performances like this throughout the season. The other two players that I just want to quickly mention are Lockie Schultz and Will Brody. Lockie Schultz had a fantastic game, kicked two goals, and was just a huge role player throughout the whole game. Never took a backward step, and it was just hard at every contest that he was in. Same goes for the super sub Will Brody, who should never have to play as the sub again. He had a moment sort of late in the third quarter where he basically got speed in half, but was still able to get a clean handball out of the contest and set up a goal in the form of Andrew Brayshaw. That was the moment that should have made the whole coaching staff realize that Will Brody should never have to start as the sub ever again. And now finishing up this week's Winner VIP Lounge, we have the Docker Delight aka the best moment of the match for Frio, and it couldn't have been anything else than Matthew Johnson's first goal in AFL footy to put Frio in front. It started with a beautiful kick inside 50 to Frederick that hit Amos on the chest. Amos could have gone back and kicked four, and even if he did, he probably still wouldn't have got this week's Rising Star nomination. Yeah, the guy kicked three goals and was not given this week's Rising Star nomination. So then you're probably thinking, Oh, the guy who must have got it must have had a terrific game. Max McLenny, who was this week's Rising Star nomination, had 10 disposals, 3 marks, 4 tackles, 50 AFL fantasy points, had 4 contested possessions, and 4 intercept possessions, alongside 3 score involvements. Jai Amos, on the other hand, had the same amount of disposals with 10, kicked 3 goals too, had 74 AFL fantasy points, had more contested possessions with five, and nine score involvements with one goal assist. Look, I do understand that it's gather round and everything, and it's fitting to give the Rising Star nomination to an Adelaide player, but in no aspect did Michael Lanny have a better game than Jai Amos. They had the same amount of possessions, except one was way more damaging with it, and one kicked three goals too. How in the world did the AFL come to this decision? What? singular aspect of Michael Lenny's performance for the Adelaide Crows was good enough that the AFL thought that he was more worthy for this week's Rising Star nomination than Jai Amos and even St Kilda's Matthias Filippo. However, we are getting a little bit off track. Jai Amos sees Matthew Johnson in space closer to goal, passes it to him, Matthew Johnson goes back, slots it beautifully and the Dockers hit the front. And Johnson, in the process, kicks his first goal in AFL footy. So well done to that young man. He is this week's Docker Delight. We did have a little bit of a fuse about Jai Amos not getting this week's Rising Star nomination. But now it is time for this week's Big Digs blow up. Do you understand the damage you've done? Have a good look at yourself! I don't reckon you like what you see! You could have cost your team the game! You could have cost the coach's job! I'm not allowing you to do that sort of stuff! You don't do that! You have to! start with say you're on thin ice you had options you're in front of the goal have you heard of a job pun don't confuse ambition with ability and you know what just stay out of the forward line you're done so as we all know last week was a very special week because it was the first time that the afl has had every single match in one state this of course was nicknamed gather round now i just want to clear this out of the way I didn't have a problem with Gather Round. I thought it was really well done, and it surprisingly lived up 
to the way Gil McLaughlin hyped it up when it was first announced. I was a bit spectacle at first, especially with the Freo and Suns game. I mean, who the hell is going to visit a Fremantle and Gold Coast game in Adelaide of all places? There's so few Freo fans in Adelaide, let alone Suns fans, but to my surprise, not just this game, but every other game was sold out for the round. So well done to the fans and the AFL for that. However, the part I am calling out, and the part that's made the state of WA very unhappy, is that the AFL have agreed to extend Gather Round in Adelaide for the next two years. Which means that Gather Round will be in Adelaide for 2024 and 2025. This was a very surprising announcement to say the least. Pretty much everyone thought and agreed that Gather Round would be in WA next year before the AFL made this announcement. I mean, when you really think about it, there's not really any other state in Australia that could hold something like a Gather Round. Queensland doesn't have enough space since they're preparing for the Olympics. And don't forget they had an AFL Grand Final there from a few years ago. Every other AFL round is basically Gather Round but in Victoria, so that cuts them out of the picture. And for me, all the other states in Australia are just too small. And don't have the capacity, or better yet, the passion to have this sort of round at. Since, unsurprisingly, other states prioritise other sports. And let's not forget Tasmania, who, fingers crossed, are hopefully getting an announcement for their football team at the end of this year. So, yeah, that really only left Western Australia to have this sort of round act. Then, the AFL comes in and makes that announcement. But I thought the entire point of Gather Round was to have an entire dedicated round of football in a different state for a different year. This may come back to bite me, but I don't think South Australia is going to be as passionate as about this this time next year as they were this year. For me, if you want this sort of rounds to be more exciting each year, you have to change it up, which is the entire point of the round. Having Gather Round in the same place for the next three years is going to make things a little bit boring. Plus, moving Gather Round to a different state each year would allow for better variety and would allow a smaller communities and other states to shine through and get their turn in the spotlight. The same way we saw the small ovals at Adelaide get their turn in the spotlight. Also, while I am at it, I should also ask whether not just Frio, but the teams that specifically changed their Guernseys for this round, are we keeping those designs or is it like Indigenous round where we change it every year? Also, on top of that, I cannot tell you whether I like Froyo's Stealth Jumper or not. My opinion has changed so much on whether I like them or not, that I just can't tell whether they're good or not. In fact, as I'm saying this out loud right now, I think from a design perspective it looks really good, but from a traditional AFL Jumper perspective, it just doesn't work. It's kind of like West Coast's Bird of Tokyo theme song, where on its own, it's perfectly fine, but when it's used as an AFL song, it's like the worst thing in the world. The Stealth Jumper definitely does seem inspired by the GWS Neon Jumper, which also looks good. The Stealth Jumpers look cool, but when I see them out playing in it, it just doesn't click for me. I will definitely get one, because as I said, the design is really, really cool, but it just doesn't click as an AFL Jumper. I don't know, maybe I'm just a traditionalist, if that's even a word. But I honestly couldn't tell you whether the jumper works or not. So basically, long story short, the design looks cool, but it doesn't work as a jumper. So with that discussion had, let's move on to the match preview against the Western Bulldogs. 
The Fremantle Dockers take on the Western Bulldogs in the Lent Hall Anzac round on Friday night in what is set to be a season-defining match for both clubs. The Bulldogs are coming off a wet-weather 14-point loss to Port Adelaide, while the Dockers are coming off the back of an excellent win against the Gold Coast Suns at Norwood. Going into what I think will be the changes for the Fremantle lineup, I think Corey Wagner, who made his debut for Fremantle last week, has to go out for Nathan Wilson. I didn't watch the first half of the Freo vs Suns game because I was driving home, but I was told that Wagner was absolutely terrible. Like, couldn't mark, couldn't kick, couldn't make the right decisions, and I think his direct opponent in David Swallow kicked three goals as well. And on the flip side, Nathan Wilson had a fantastic game for Pill Thunder, with the 20 disposals, 5 marks, and 1 goal. So that should be a no-brainer instant swap. I'm still very icky on Sam Sturt. On the one hand, you could say that his performance was terrible, which it was, but at the same time, it was his first AFL game for like two years. And also because it's very tricky to replace someone like Sam Sturt, He's got the size of certainly a third toll for our forward line, but he isn't a very physical player. So you can't really replace someone like a Samster with Josh Tracy, who plays the exact opposite. He's very physical. And at the same time, Tracy has been very average for Peel this year. Fife and Tabata, as I said earlier, are still on the injury list and could be there for the next three to four weeks. And I do think it's possible that Fife could return to Peel like he did last year either next week or the week after. The only player you could realistically swap for Sam Sturt would be Sabit Quack, who kicked four goals for Peel, which if that were to happen would mean Sabit would make his AFL debut, which I do think is something us as fans are crying out to see. He's clearly had a fantastic preseason, he's added on much more muscle, and he's in terrific form right now. But as much as I'd love to see Sabit Quack make his debut now, I don't think that change is likely to happen. I think Sturt will be given more game time to sort of allow his confidence to build. And if that doesn't work, then maybe he'll finally get dropped. Sam Swakowski was subbed out of the game and will miss the next two weeks. But that should be an instant swap for Will Brody, since Swakowski has been playing in the midfield this season. And Will Brody did a fantastic job to replace Swakowski. So that, again, should be another no-brainer decision. Plus, it'll allow someone like a Bailey Banfield to get more game time in the forward line. So to summarise all of that, Corey Wagner will be omitted for Nathan Wilson. Sam Swakowski will be dropped, obviously due to his injury, and should be replaced by Will Brody in the team. Sam Sturt is on the cutting edge of being dropped, and I think the sub for the game is most likely to be Liam Henry. So with that done, let's get into my match predictions. Starting off with the BOG... And I've got to go with Caleb Sarong. He's in some serious hot form right now. And not to mention, the last time we played the Bulldogs in the elimination final, he was my BOG with 33 disposals and one goal. So once again, I think Sarong will put up another match-winning performance that will put him in serious Brownlow notice. Next up is the Frio hero, and I've gone with Jai Amos. The Doggies really lack in their key defensive tolls. And it doesn't help with Josh Bruce sustaining an injury last week. Plus, I think Liam Jones is a far better matchup on Luke Jackson or Sean Darcy, depending on who rotates down there. So I think Amos has the potential to have a huge night out and could potentially build off his three-goal performance from last week and in the process, hopefully, earn himself a NAB Rising Star nomination. 
For this week's lookout player, I've picked the opposition key forward. Now, before I reveal who he is, I want to give you my sort of thought process when picking this player. Frio, at least for this year, have been really, really bad at closing in on the sort of, you know, superstar key forwards. When we played North Melbourne in round two, Nick Larky kicked, I think it was either four or five goals. Then when we played West Coast, Oscar Allen kicked like three and one quarter. Then when we played the Crows, I think Tex Walker kicked four. And last week against the Gold Coast, Jack Lukosius killed us in the first quarter. So with that being said, I think the opposition's most dangerous player will be Aaron Norton. Fremantle have done a really, really good job on keeping Norton quiet when we've played the Western Bulldogs. He had no impact in the elimination final last year, and he had no impact when we played the Bulldogs in round 19 of last year. So that'll definitely give him a lot of motivation going into this game, and could potentially set Norton up to have a huge performance. Now onto my final prediction, the big call. And I feel like now is time to address the elephant in the room, or better yet, a giant lobster. This will be Rory Lobb's first game back in WA since being traded to the Western Bulldogs. Now, Rory Lobb was hated by us fans even when he was here, but now we have an actual reason to boo him. And unsurprisingly, this wouldn't be the first time we've booed a player before. Obviously, we had Lockie Neal go to Brisbane. We had Adam Chera go to Carlton. Same with Blake Aggers when we eventually do meet Carlton. Same goes with Bradley Hill, Jesse Hogan. My, my main point is, is that we've had a lot of players leave before. And in the process, we've also booed a lot of those players. And not surprising, the player who's received the most would be Andrew Gaff. Obviously, because of his incident with Brayshaw a few years ago. But I think the boos Lob will receive on Friday night will go past that. I think he'll cop more and louder boos than anyone has ever heard in the game before. And as a result, Bevo will have a crack at the media in his press conference, whether they win or lose. So my bold call is that Lob cops boos louder than Andrew Gaff. And as a little side note, similar to Ken Hankley last week, Bevo will have a crack at the media in his press conference. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Big Digs Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening again. Hopefully the Dockers get the job done on Friday. And until then, I'll see you next week. Siren! Rio the real deal! Breaks through. Speaking of all time, right? What a goal. How Jackson ripping out of the air. Action, Jackson! Clark now. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So wrong, so right! For Will Brady. He's launched, he's got it online.